Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the Hoosier State, Indiana, my home state where I was born and raised, and I am here together at Gateway Church with Pastor Chris. We are just hanging out. We were talking in a back room. We did some recording on a brand new Bible translation that he has done. I mentioned it before on another podcast. It's called The Name Translation, TNT, like explosive. Um, But as we're talking, we start to go over a subject that is uh, something that churches around the world, especially in the West, are dealing with. This isn't something that we deal with too much in China, to be honest, right now. But we do deal with it in different areas like Cambodia right now. We uh, deal with it in Thailand. And it's because of the human trafficking, basically, that takes place with young boys and the, the raping of, of, of young boys from the homosexual community. And so we're talking about homosexuality in the church. You might have experienced this in your church. You might be dealing this with within your own denomination, maybe. Maybe your church is not specifically dealing with it as a, as a problem, but maybe you're a part of a, of a denomination that the elders, the, the voting members, the board members are talking about whether it's biblical or not. Pastor, Chris, how long have you been a pastor? I've been a pastor for about 20 years. Um, been part of different movements, and a lot of uh, different church movements have different takes on how to address the issue of homosexuality. And so it's been, a, it's been interesting navigating, uh, especially in the midst of uh, different denominations and, what, and different movements of how, how do you address the homosexual issue uh, address you know the people with love, but also you know not being so open-minded that your brain falls out because it's it's an important issue to address because it's rooted in your identity, rooted in um, you know the, the biblical morality of what how God has called us to live, and I, I think some churches have compromised way too far, and uh, I think that you're you're going to lose the presence of the Lord in your movement. If you don't deal with these sexual issues, homosexuality, or any sexual issues properly. Uh, is this something that you've had to deal with in your church? We have, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and Can you share a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, and, and again, these are not issues that I have, you know, I've, I've deal with these issues within our, our own, you know, families. I think we all do. Um, and because of the... Um, difficulty, I think, of some leaders making firm decisions of uh, holding to the Word of God that they've compromised. And, um, you know, one movement we were involved in, for a time, um, one of the leaders came to the conclusion that um, homosexual practice was just a, a mere disputable matter. It was something that we could tolerate within our leadership. We could dispute, um, dispute it among ourselves instead of dealing with it as an issue of sin. 
And so, you know, you know being part of a, a movement, we decided that we were not comfortable with continuing uh, on in this movement because of their uh, lack of a stance to take a firm stance against um, homosexuality and saying this is this is a sin. This is not something we can just dispute. We have to draw the line in the sand. I think that this has been a a weakness of many denominations that felt that this is not a really big problem. Mm. Most people, I think, I'll, I'll I'll speak from my own experience. I have been around Christians that definitely believed that homosexuality was a sin, but they didn't want to speak so much in a way that would be offensive or push away people. I think that they felt that they could bring people over to their way of thinking by, by being a little bit softer with their tongue, tone, less judgmental with mm -hmm. their words. And I think that many of them thought, you know what? The majority, the 99% of Christians, Protestant Christians in our denomination know that homosexuality is a sin. There's no reason to browbeat anybody right. over this. And the truth is, is that in the last few years, I think that we have seen churches that have not taken a hard stand or a solid stance. I solid say, not stance. Hard, yeah. Haven't taken a solid stance, have waffled on the yeah. idea of whether it's a sin or not, even though inside I know these guys personally, I know that they do believe that this is a sin. And as a result, many of the people in the congregation have been more exposed to what the world says Christians believe than what the pastor says that Christians believe. And the truth is, is that when you're a bread maker, um, you're a truck driver, uh, you are a police officer, you might spend, you know, a short amount of time each day, if you're lucky, in the Bible, but there are some things that you are heavily influenced in what you know by the pastor. So if the pastor is not teaching it, that, and I'm not in any way um, dispelling our, our own responsibility for knowing what the Word of God says. I am, however, saying that because there was a lack of teaching from the pulpit, mm -hmm. there is a, a, a large number of Christians that really don't believe, don't know what the church believes. They don't know what the church believes. When you watch TV, you get pastors that are invited on to these news channels and they get about 50 seconds to explain what the Bible says. And many of them also take this very easy waffling approach and it leaves the impression with many Christians that, oh, we love the sinner. And that translates into we embrace the sinner. And that translates into we condone the sinner, which then translates into we celebrate the sinner mm. in their sin, not in their transformation or uh, repentance. And that's and you see what's happening in our culture now that it's always the the oppressed group is lifted up. And so if you're heterosexual now in your culture, you're viewed as a, an, an oppressor of those who have a, a different choice of sexuality and it's the cultural Marxism that, and um, in, in now many in the culture, they, they always celebrate the idea of diversity and you turn on Netflix or Amazon, it's diversity month or LGBTQ month. And um, when in fact, 
you know, it's just straying from the biblical foundation that we've been given in the Bible. And that is something we need to hold on to. Um, you know, Psalms uh, 11.3 says, when the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? And I, I believe that mer marriage and, um, you know, between a man and a woman is, is one of those foundations that if we compromise on it, then we have, there's nothing that we can do from that point forward. Yeah, I, I, I mean, for me, um, I don't see homosexuality as a worse sin than any other sin. No. So um, if somebody is listening to this podcast and living with their girlfriend and they're not married and they're having premarital sex, that is in God's eyes a sin that also would make them um, not able to participate in ministry. Um, I, <laughs> I <laughs> So right before we started this podcast, you and I sat down and we were just started talking. We were actually going to do another podcast right away. And we got talking on this subject, how I have no clue. But um, my wife and I, <clears throat> my wife and I, before we were married, we became actively uh, uh, connected with each other. And so um, we are living a life of sin, the two of us. And we know it. We're both Christians. We're both believers. Mm -hmm. And we felt that we were somehow super Christian, to be honest. So we felt that because we believed in the Bible, because we were involved in ministry, because we, we could do things and push things to the limits without actually sinning because we had those boundaries. Well, it turns out the plumbing works and we couldn't, we didn't, we weren't able to put on the brakes. And this was the time when the, um, the uh, Brownsville revivals were going on. So during that time, we drove to the Brownsville revivals. And I can tell you that Every night at the Brownsville revivals, we were repenting of our sins. Yes, yeah. And every day during the day, we were repeating those sins. <laughs> so we were going back in the night and then like bawling and crying, saying, God, forgive us. And we were going back. So we were living this life of sin. What happens during that time is that my wife got pregnant before we were married. And so uh, while she, we were engaged, so we were already engaged, we were already committed with each other. And in God's eyes, we were now one. We were one flesh. But we had not made that public commitment to each other in marriage. And so we decided, let's do Vegas. So we went to Vegas. We got married in Vegas. And so she had to, and my wife grew up in a very, conservative Christian Pentecostal home as a missionary. She grew up on the mission field. She's a missionary. So she had to make that dreadful call to her parents saying, mom, dad, I'm married. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> I'm pregnant. <laughs> so we knew that we had some repentance to do. Yeah. We knew that we had some penance to pay. We knew that even though we asked for forgiveness for our sins, we still had to face the music of the consequences of those sins. Now, she called me up. I remember, um, this is a little bit longer of a story than I want to give. I just want to share it really quick. I remember when she called me and told me she was pregnant. I was in the military. I was going to night classes at the time. I was studying um, uh, software 
in a, uh, computer, not computer engineering, but it was a computer class, general computer class, um, from a from a local professor that came on base and would teach these classes, and you could get college credits. So I was doing that in the evening, and I get a phone call. This is before mobile phones, and so I get a mo I get a phone call. A private runs over to the chow hall and says, "Hey, sergeant, your girlfriend's on the phone, and she's she she wants to talk to you." And I was like, "All right, well, I got a class." And he was like, "No." She's crying. I think that she wants to really talk to you. So I called, the, she was crying. I skipped class that night. I drove straight to the apartment to see her. And of course she was distraught because everything that she had kind of had in life seemed like it was crumbling because now she's pregnant. Soon as I see her, I was like, no. And she, she can confirm this. I said, no, we're not going to cry about this. We're going to celebrate, get dressed, get cleaned up. I don't have that much money, but we're going out for steak. We're going out to celebrate. This is life. What we did was wrong, but this is life and we're going to celebrate. Yeah. We're going to live our life before God. We screwed up, but I know that our God can take this stumbling block and turn it into a stepping stone. Her family had never experienced this before. My family, this was like, what, you're not pregnant and you're getting married? Like this is, that's not a part of my family was, that's, I used to joke with people that I walked across the same graduation stage twice. My mom graduated from Blackford High School. Um, she was pregnant with me, 18, walking across graduation stage, same stage I walked across when I graduated. It's a part of our family, like standard operating wow. procedure. You get pregnant, then you get married. I, I've never heard anybody have that graduation experience. <laughs> That's fascinating. That's memorable. Yeah. So yeah, I, I walked across the same stage twice. But um, I, I love what you did too. You celebrated the the life yeah. of your child. That's yes. The, that's the beautiful thing. It, it was one of those things that, you know, I think that my wife really needed me at that time. Yeah. She needed me to to be the person to kind of know that I was going to protect her. I was going to provide for her. I know that we live in a day and age where the male role is is changing a bit and the female role is changing. But I can tell you right now, in our relationship at least, I can't say this for every relationship, but in our relationship, my wife, like the love that she receives is best received when she is provided for, when she is protected, uh, when she has security. Security is her number one need in life. Uh, I have different needs. I like to be praised. I like to be um, honored. I like to be respected. I like to be loved. I mean, so we have different needs and, and we give each other what we need. And at that time, she needed security. And, uh, and so that's, you know, what I gave, but we were the, we were the biggest sinners on her side of the family. We were the, her mom went into, um, a, a certain, uh, a certain level of, <clears throat> of a emotional breakdown. Uh, we didn't hear from her for like two months. Wow. It was really, really bad. It was the biggest disaster that her side of the family had, had wow. faced. I said all of that to prep you for this part. We are very, very close with her aunt and uncle on her side of the family. Very, very close. They let us use their house. They let us borrow their car. We spent a lot of time with them. My wife uh, babysat for their, their boys. And uh, one of their sons... Um, came out a few years ago as being homosexual. And so they set us down one time and they said, you know, we need to tell you some big news. Um, our, our son is a homosexual and <clears throat> he's going to marry another guy. What do you guys, you know, 
how do you guys feel about that? Because they knew that my wife and I, we've been serving on the mission field for over 20 years. We are, uh, we're involved in ministry. We have our own uh, teachings about this. And so they asked me, you know, how do you feel about it? And I was like, well, in one way, it's amazing. It's great. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, this is, this is great. And they're like, why would you say that? We thought that you would feel that this is a sin. And I was like, no, don't get me wrong. This is as sinful as it can be. But my wife and I are no longer the biggest sinners in the family. Like you guys will never remember that she got pregnant before we got married now because this is now the no. biggest sin. So what was sad about that? And then the reason I bring this up, 25 years ago in the church, this was not even an issue. Everybody in the church, and I say everybody, you know, relatively, along, wrong, along the Protestant lines, were like, absolutely not, this is a sin. Absolutely not. 2008 election, if you remember. 2008 election, Hillary Clinton, Obama, in the United States, both of them could not politically come out and support gay marriage. 2008 is 2008. not that long ago. Oh, it's not. That's not that long ago. The, the shift that's taken place within the last 20 years is, it's mind-boggling. Within the last 10 years. Within the 10, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The last 10 years, there was some shift that took place mm. where we don't even remember what the world was like before this. Yeah. We feel, there's almost this feeling that, uh, that homosexual marriage has been celebrated for 30 years, yeah. 40 years. That it's always been at the forefront and but the truth is it was not until 2010 yeah that obama embraced it and came out openly in support of a uh, gay marriage it was not even after that that sweden which is thought of as being this you know really moderate um progressive socialist country they didn't even embrace it for until after that for for gay marriage. So well, I thought it, the one the one thought I had is that you know back in the '60s we had we had the sexual revolution, which took place because of you know, Alfred Kinsey and and um, you know the drugs and but there was a sexual revolution that took place in the '60s, and I like to say that that was a that was a the Satan's counterfeit to the Jesus movement. And that the enemy gets very scared because he knows that something great's about to happen in America. So what I've been encouraged in, even though this is, you know, it's a sexual movement that's twisted, it's it's affecting the minds of our our children and our society. But it, is this Satan's counterfeit right now because he knows that the second Jesus people movement is coming? That's that's what I think. One of the things that I find fascinating is that um, when I was doing the Back to Jerusalem Chasing Revival series, I was chasing re the, the history of revival. And I started to come across things that we are facing today. And I'm going to be sharing in your church tomorrow. And one of the things I'm going to be sharing in your church tomorrow is the things that we are facing today in America are not new. In fact, they're a repeat of what we saw only 60 years ago in China almost an exact repeat. The enemy is actually not that original. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that the Bible tells us the history of mankind. I know that oftentimes people think, well, this is the, the history of God. I think it's the history of man yeah. and man's failures 
in need for God. And we see this, this, this transgressions that take place against God in the Old Testament. And one of the things that we see is how man and his response and the challenges and how Satan attacks him, none of it's new. Satan attacked the first man this way. He attacked the he attacked the Jews this way. He attacked the prophets this way. He attacked the New Testament warriors this way. It's like throughout history, it's the cycle of repeat, repeat, repeat. And um, one of the things that I I know that I believe that, but I was still blown away when I get into the ancient Roman culture and seeing how revivals taking place with the first century church, the second century church, up until there was a transformation in 300 AD. And I never knew, I guess even though I've always thought that our salvation both later and now is found in the word of God, I somehow also maybe secretly or unknowingly or somehow, I, don't, I can't really explain it per se, but I, I felt that the Roman Greek society is where we as Westerners get a lot of our uh, civility. Our, 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 our civilization, our, the way that we treat each other kindly, the way that we you know, do certain things comes from that culture. I couldn't have been more wrong. When I see the very first Caesar that persecutes Christians in, in one of the most destructive ways, which was Nero. Nero did things to Christians that people don't even think about. You know, he burned them at the stake. He fed them to the animals during the big gladiator kind of spectacles. He had the, he had the, the, the huge auditorium there in, in Rome where he would bring out Christians and have gladiators kill them and have animals eat them. And it was entertainment for the masses. What I did not know is that Nero was married twice to two different guys. Once he finds a guy that he's attracted to, has him neutered so that he will not go through puberty, so he will maintain these boyish-like characteristics even as he gets older. And then Nero dressed this boy up like a woman and then married him publicly with everybody knowing that he's a guy. And that homosexual marriage was celebrated. Then he meets another guy that he falls in love with. So Nero then marries again. This time Nero dresses up like a woman and marries this guy and it's celebrated. Um, in order for uh, the warriors to be celebrated, they would have to take a young male into the temple of Zeus and rape okay. him to show the kind of manliness and the manliness was not enough for man raping a woman. It had to be another male. Um, and then you have the children of Christians, boys that were taken and then given out to other men at, at parties and celebrations. And then the men would use them, abuse them. And then these little children were then thrown off cliffs to die. So they were raped, forced to serve these Roman politicians. And it's like Epstein Island, like, yeah. you know, this whole little like orgy taking place. I never knew how barbaric how evil. I started looking at Sodom and Gomorrah in a completely different way, that it wasn't just the evilness that was displayed, you know, of people being mean to each other. This was a behavior that when the men of the city saw men that they were attracted to, the angels, 
They wanted to yeah. do mass rape. Mm. I mean, this was this was their own pleasure seeking. And this so, is and this is it's demonic um, that this has been a plague in our society and our cultures. And I'll, I'll share a story. One a friend of mine felt the Lord told him to stop at this convenience store and and go in and talk to the lady at the register. And he said, "Is there anything I can pray for?" And she says, "My son is thinks he's a homosexual, and he was he was young, maybe fourteen. And so he said, "Well, I want to go pray with him." And he went over and just trying to get conversation with a fourteen year old could be a challenge. But he he got he just understood in this revelation that this is. This is demonic. And so he began to pray and he took authority over this demonic thing that had come over this boy. And they, they had found out there was a witch, uh, someone that was into you know, practicing witchcraft, their, their neighbor, that this is possible to even be like a spell that gets on the mindset that switches our natural desires, men for women, women for men. And so he took authority over this thing. And the young boy was just like, Man, he's like, how you doing? And he goes, I just can't stop thinking of this girl right now. And he said, well, that's good. That's good. And he says, I think I like her, you know. And, it, and they, that may sound weird, but I, I don't think it's crazy to say this is a demonic spirit that is affecting the mindset of our young people. And if we try to either, you know, deal with it in reason. Yeah, I believe that, that uh, you know, Genesis 6, when you talk about that the angels or the sons of God came down and and mated with the sons of the daughters of men. I mean, this is there was some weird stuff that was happening, and we're beginning to see all this stuff come out in the open. And there's been an onslaught of this since, like you said, 2010. But you're also saying that this was when Christianity was birthed, when the Bible, the New Testament was written. This was common practice. Homosexuality was embraced in the culture. And you know, worse than that, worse, it, than, worse that. than that, deeper than that, deeper. It was, it was a part of the religion. So, during the time I was doing the chasing revival, we were trying to find Trous, where Paul has the vision, because this is kind of the a, a key part for back the back to Jerusalem vision. Because when Paul is in Trous in chapter 16 of Acts, uh, he has. Um, this he's reached the most western part of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He reaches the, the ocean waters that divide Turkey from Europe. And so when he gets to the ends of that landmass, that continent, he turns to Asia, and he starts to focus towards Asia. But the Bible tells us that he stopped by the Holy Spirit. So then he tries to go to Bithynia, to the north but he's stopped by the spirit of Jesus. And it is then that he has this vision to Europe, Macedonia. Yeah. This is in the city of Traus. Traus is not on any map. It's not a part of any tourist group. In order to find it, we had to put in the grid coordinates and drive there. And once you find it, it's fascinating. All of the city ruins are there. It's in this open field. Um, it was it was so nice to go there because there's nobody around. You get to explore the city by yourself. Nobody's selling you t-shirts or tickets or there's there's nobody there. So we were able to do filming there all by ourselves, explore the place. All It was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. But we're driving, before we find it, we're driving in the night. A big storm takes place. We're driving this little, small French car 
and we're just looking for a hotel for the night. We, we haven't planned our trip at all in the way. We're just trying to get to Trous. And so as we're driving, <clears throat> Uh, we go to a couple hotels. They don't have any. They don't have any place for us. But one place tells us, "Hey, go down to the bottom of this this mountain. There's a little small fishing village there. They have guest houses, like these air, these uh, these bread and breakfast places." And we're like, "All right, cool. We'll do that." So it's late at night. We drive down. Wake up in the morning. Sun is shining. It's absolutely beautiful. And we realize. We're in a place, and I know that I'm going to say this wrong. I still can't say it right. It sounds wrong coming out of my mouth, but it's called assos. <laughs> <laughs> so we're sitting there, and I'm realizing Paul was here. Wow. And there's a cathedral there that we were able to jump the fence and go in and do some filming in the cathedral. And right across from us is the Isle of Lesbos. And Paul was also there. So Paul was on the Isle of Lesbos, and that's where we get the word lesbian. And this is where you have the Arizonian uh, women, Amazonian women, uh, that uh, killed all the males, shaved off their breasts so they'd be better with archery. And there was this homosexual uh, religion that the people would come from far and wide to give gifts and sacrifices and offerings to this homosexual god, to this lesbian god, the god of Lesbos. And I'm, I'm looking at this and we're, we're doing the recording. I was like, hang on, while revival is taking place, mm. Paul is not offending people's culture. He is not being insensitive with his words when he's doing his teaching. He's offending their religion. That's a different animal. So when we talk about, you know, that's not love, that's not the love that Jesus would yeah. have, the very first disciples. Paul himself being kind of the very first missionary um, is facing not just the same thing, but worse than what we're facing today. What is it? It's the new morality. It's tolerance. And that's, that's, that, that's not morality. Morality is what the Bible declares as right and wrong and living according to the wisdom of the scriptures. And I like to say that if, if homosexuality was going to be an acceptable practice, in the New Testament, Jesus would have, he could have swung open the door at that time. It, he wouldn't have waited till 2010 to say, okay, now we are going to embrace this lifestyle. And I think it's important that we, we know the history of it. Uh, like you're saying that this was very common in the culture, accepted, ingrained in the culture, and Christianity could have opened up to the homosexuals at that time, but that's not what happened. No, and... I can go and rehash together with you a lot of the verses that are pulled out that are very, very clear about homosexuality, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it's not just the Old Testament. It is the New Testament yep. as well, where we see direct challenges and the calling out of homosexuality, as well as a lot of other sins. Right. Romans Lying, chapter one, yep. this goes through and this declares this is unnatural. Romans chapter one actually yep. goes through by steps. The, the level you take to go through damnation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I want to share something and just kind of get your feeling on it and be, you know, feel free to tear it apart. But I have, this has been something that I have been looking at and I, I haven't done a, di a deep dive into it, but I have done some meditation on it. So I would really love to hear your thoughts. When I see that God created Adam and Eve, and I go to the first 
very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. When I go to Genesis chapter 1, I, I, I see that God creates man, and He creates woman, and in this He creates everything. So He creates man, He creates woman, He creates the world that they live in, but He doesn't speak outside of creation. I, I mean, he, we don't really hear anything that he has to say to Adam. We don't really hear anything that he has to share with Adam. Uh, we hear him say, you know, let there be light, and there's light, and he creates, and he divides the, the darkness from light, and, you know, all of these different things. But the very first time that we actually see God addressing man, he gives them a command. So there's a command that comes out that God gives to man and woman together. He says this, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on earth. Be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful. So he tells them to be fruitful, multiply, and let me see, this here, what version am I looking at now? Let me go to the English Standard Version. <clears throat> Let me look at And he's the basically saying to Adam and Eve, version. have sexual relationships, right? Yes. Be fruitful. Um, he says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Mm -hmm. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. We see, you brought up the, revolu the sexual revolution in the 1960s. One of the things that made the 1960s a revolution as it was, was contraception. Now we have the ability to one of the one of, one of the things that we had at least in the back of our minds. I'm assuming because I wasn't born in the 1960s. I'm assuming one of the things that we had as at least a little bit of a reservation about having sex with multiple partners is that one of them might be get pregnant, and is this a person I want to have a kid with? But now we can actually have sex with anybody without having a kid at all. Now we can actually have kids without having sex. Mm -hmm. So before we could have sex without having kids because of, of contraception and those kind of things. And, and now we can have kids without having sex. We can actually artificially inseminate women. They can, yep. you know, they can actually choose what kind of child that they would want. And then we see this whole idea of having... Uh, intimacy um, without reproducing. The other command that goes along with that is to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the whole earth. When I look at the Tower of Babel, the very first time that we see like a metropolitan kind of area, the very first world's tyrant, um, we see something very interesting where God sees that man is being disobedient and he strikes them with confusion and they end up going when I when I first read that and I'm and I'm taught in seminary I see that section saying well man was proud he wanted to build a tower to bring a name to himself and that is true but if we read that section of the tower of babel in the book of genesis I believe it relates back to chapter 1 which is what we see which if we listen to the words of those that were building the Babylonian or the Tower of Babel, they say what? They say, let's build a tower to ourselves 
lest we be scattered over the whole mm. earth. So they are defying God's command to fill the whole earth. And I see that related to chapter one, and this is where I'm getting to. When I look at homosexuality, I see that as a direct challenge to God creating man and woman together. I see that as a direct challenge of God giving command to both man and woman and having them multiply. I see that as a another at another level, so almost a trifecta of offenses, if you will, of homosexuality being mainly accepted where? In urban areas. All of the sins, the blasphemy, the challenges to God. You know this, you're involved in politics. When it comes to politics, where are the centers for the for the the areas that are taking away most of our freedoms? They usually come from the urban yep. city centers. There's something about that spreading out of man mm -hmm. to fulfill the word of God, to multiply, to go out into the rural, unreached areas of the world. Even with the gospel message itself, with the Great Commission, again, we get this message of go out, spread out, multiply out. Um, I see this whole thing all kind of collected together where homosexuality is in defiance of God. The, the uh, lack of spreading out in defiance of God. The lack of identifying the, the way that God made us, male and female, in defiance of God. Mm -hmm. um, am I reading too much into it? What are kind of your thoughts? I haven't shared this with you before. I'm just wondering, <laughs> like, well, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, when Paul describes, uh, they call it where... In Romans chapter one, it's the how society is degrading and degrading and degrading, and it, the last thing he mentions is homosexuality as one of the final signs that your culture is about to completely collapse. And I think that's where we are in Western society is when we stray off the biblical foundations and begin to bring in. Marxism and the other the other foundation one's one is godly will support your nation the other will cause your nation to crumble and that's why the church has to embrace the biblical foundation of one man one woman that's what marriage is and you know you're talking the the tower of babel and it is there's a there's a rebellion that's taking place there's a spiritual rebellion and it is demonic. There is, you know, Josephus says that they actually built the tower because they, they did not trust that God would never flood the earth again. That's one interpretation. The reason they, they said, we're, we're not going to allow God to ever do that again. We're going to build it to the heavens. And it does come down to just embracing. We can't, we can't allow ourselves to, um, because I feel a certain way about, uh, another individual, let's say that you would, you can't question how God created you. And there's a lot, I mean, I know there's a lot of generational sins. There's a lot, we're not born with a clean slate. So there are some homosexual desires, I believe in, you know, women, you know, young, but your boys, girls, there's different dynamics that takes place as a church. We need to take them through that area of deliverance not say this is this is an acceptable lifestyle for you as a Christian. This is something you must resist and work through. Yeah, you you may fall, you may stumble, you may have these desires, but all of us have desires that we don't 
step into because we know that that violates God's command. So I think that we have to we have to call what it is. It's 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 this is the plan of the enemy to destroy those foundations. Yeah, um, I'm we're actually doing this podcast with my son in the room. Uh, could you do me a favor and look up a guy by the name of Murray? Um, just put in British conservative speaker Murray. Uh, he actually has touched on something that I'm really interested to kind of hear your thoughts on because you actually touched on it briefly. You you brought it up. And I just, I want to share something. This is a guy that's not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he might even be homosexual. I'm not, I'm not certain. Do you have him there? What's his name? Uh, Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray, yes. So there's a guy by name of Douglas Murray. Uh, is Douglas Murray homosexual? Can you, can you look up homosexual? Douglas Murray homosexual. So we have a, we have somebody here during our podcast. I love this actually. Can Google things as we're talking. <laughs> No. Okay. So he's not. Yes, yes. He is. Yes, he is. Okay. So he is. He had that vibe. So I didn't know if he was or not, but he had that vibe. Um, But he's an intellectual and he's a conservative intellectual. And I think that he's writing a book. He has not published it yet. I don't know if he will even write it. He's only talked about this and he's the only person I've ever heard bring this up. And I would be fascinated to find out what he finds. But he said that he's doing a study and one of the things that he has found is that most societies as the last stage before they fall, they have homosexuals as an open practice. Homosexuality is an open practice in major societies, kingdoms before they fall. And he's talking about Babylon, he's talking about Assyria, he's talking about Egypt, he's talking about Persia, he's talking about the Romans, he's talking about the Greeks. Like it is an open practice the last open practice as a final sign before their downfall. And um, I wanted to go back to Genesis chapter 11. So Genesis chapter 11, uh, I want to read directly what is said at the Tower of Babel, according to the Bible. Uh, chapter 11, uh, could we actually look at this from your, can I get the, the name Bible? Let's get the TNT up in here. So I want to go to the name Bible, and I have I have not read this section before using this Bible. I'm just curious now. Um, if we, that's what it's there for. Yep, and, it's a great research tool. Yeah, and that's what we're doing right now. So we're going to do some research using this chapter 11, verse I think it's four. <clears throat> um, no, verse three. Uh, let me start here, verse 1, just because here you add the names. It says, the whole earth was of one language and one speak speech. This is important because in um, <clears throat> China, when we write the character for, for tower, uh, a tower, the, the word for tower in Chinese is one people speaking one language, making a building. <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, so it's one people speaking one, one language. language. Um, building. So you have like hay on a, on a, yeah. on a roof. Um, <clears throat> as they traveled east, this is so important. I'm glad that you use this um, version. I didn't even think about this until just now that I want to throw this in there. Um, one of the things that we see, I just came out with a book last year called China and End Time Prophecy. 
And the reason I wrote that book was because there was a lot of debate on whether Back to Jerusalem, the vision, was biblical or not biblical. In fact, there is a well-known uh, academic pastor in Beijing, Chinese, that's, that came to the conclusion that Back to Jerusalem is a great vision, it's just not supported by the Bible. And I had to really break down myself and say, okay, do I believe that the Back to Jerusalem vision is biblical? because I already bought the idea, therefore when I read the Bible, I read it with these eyes and I interpret things that have nothing to do with Back to Jerusalem, but I interpret them as if they do have something to do with Back to Jerusalem. I have to be honest with myself here. So I went through the Bible and one of the things I found, which is fascinating to me, is that when it, throughout from the beginning of the Bible uh, with God all the way to the end of the Bible, we see a concept that happens throughout. And that is when you are pushed away from God, you are pushed east. And to approach God, you have to come west. Throughout everything, there's always this directional uh, approach to God. So for instance, when Adam and Eve sin against God, they're pushed out of the garden. Which way? We know that there's only one angel protecting the garden, and that is to the east. east. We're not told about any other angels directing any other, or protecting any other direction. We see that when Cain kills his brother, he is pushed further east. We see that even in the, the temple itself, that if you want to approach God, there's only one entrance and one exit. You have to approach from the east. And the holiest of holies is to the very most west. So you approach God from east to west. It made the temple different than all the other pagan temples in the world, which are usually north and south. God's temple was not that way, it was east and west. Now get this. The people that are about to sin against God, Genesis chapter 11, as they traveled east. That's powerful. Yep. So they're moving away from God it, geographically. So we're not saying that God is in the west and he's not in the east. We're saying that it is this common theme of approaching people. And this is a big, this is a big deal for us because mm. when Jesus spoke on the Mount of Olives, his last words to the disciples about completing the Great Commission, he's on the Mount of Olives, which is east of Jerusalem. So in order that from the very beginning, in order to fulfill the word of God, the disciples go from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, which is a westward movement going from east to west. When we see Peter, the very first disciple that is followed in the book of Acts, he goes from Jerusalem, which is as east as you can be in Israel, to Joppa, which is as west as you can go in. Once he reaches the western boundaries of Israel, there's a switch from Peter to Paul. And Paul goes from east to west, completing the Great Commission. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> How the directions even tie in. Even the directions. In. So yeah. beautiful. That's why the naming and all of this stuff is on purpose. So I love reading from this translation that you've done here. So I'm reading from TNT. As they traveled east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, which means sharp city. And they lived there. They said to one another, come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had bricks for stone and they used tar and mortar. And they said, come, let's build a city and a tower whose tops shall reach the sky. And let's make a name for ourselves. So people that say that they were taking pride in themselves, they're absolutely right. But then it says, unless we be scattered abroad on the surface of the whole earth. In direct defiance of God's very first command. command yeah. Be fruitful, multiply, 
and go uh, to the, uh, all throughout the, the world, or go throughout the earth. Um, so we see that um, uh, throughout the, the uh, entire, um, <clears throat> not just the Bible, but also, I believe now in, in our time, cities where people come together and live together in big numbers, this is where you have some of the most uh, abominable type of activities. You have the most direct and, and advertised blasphemy. Um, it's, blasphemy is embraced. It's entertainment. Um, you have direct defiance to God as entertainment uh, in the cities where people mm-hmm. congregate. And then when you get into farming areas, rural areas, pe- places where people are scattered, then you start to find, even in other religions, people that have somehow this moral sense that is different, pure, cleaner than what you find in the cities. Now, this is interesting. Um, if you study the mark of Cain, have you ever studied what what the mark of Cain is? <clears throat> the first action that Cain does after uh, he kills his brother and God curses him and says that you know that you um, you know you're going to be a, a restless wanderer and um, and so he cries out to God and it says basically there's a mark placed on Cain is the Hebrew word called the oat sounds like oats but it's a sign he marked Cain and and I believe that the mark of Cain was his ability to build a city which was would protect them from continually to wander. He could be protected and, you know, a city was different than a village. A city would actually have walls that surrounded it. And so understanding like the first city was named Enoch, it means dedication, but it was also the mark of Cain that the mark of Cain wasn't a curse, it was a blessing. And this is one of the things that um, allowed him to be protected. City walls do that. And so God answered his cry because he was, he was protected. And, you know, when we look at cities, that's one of the challenges we have is, is there's a lot of decadence and a lot of immorality that happens in cities, but every city is created with a purpose and with, with a call that they need to come into alignment with that purpose. And we see that that's what, you know, the enemy wants to do is create chaoses and mindsets that causes people to disobey God, that actually curses their entire city and brings destruction on their city because there's always an appointed time that God will deal with a city or a nation. And just like we said, the, the sign that homosexuality is publicly accepted, Supreme Court proves of gay marriage, it's a sign that our, our society is crumbling and it's one of the measures that we as Christians say, this is a serious measure right now that we are being weighed and we're going to be found wanting and we need to, we need to pray for, our, for revival to hit our nation. And that's, that's our heart cry. While you were talking, I was reminded that when the nation scattered, I am of the belief, now this is not theologically <laughs> found in the Bible, but I am of the belief that one of the people that comes out of the, the, the children of Shem, Hem, and Jepeth was the founders of early China. 
what they call Huangdi, which is the earliest king. We have a language that goes back like 5,000 years inside of yeah. China. And so if it's true, which I do believe it is, that the story of the Tower of Babel and eventually um, the, um, the, the floods of the earth and then eventually Noah and his three sons and then the distribution of those three sons going throughout the entire earth. Um, if we can go back far enough in language and culture, we should be able to find residual elements of the beliefs of Noah. Get this. This, this, this blows my mind. In China, if I say uh, killer, murderer, it is the exact same word as brother. So if I say, for instance, Brother Yun, when he's with me, we'll call him Brother Yun. I'll say Xiongdi. Xiongdi means brother. I will use that in a Chinese way, like, hey, Xiongdi, like, hey, brother. Um, Xiongdi. Xiong means brother. Xiong also means murderer. Now get this. The only difference is, is the way that it's written. Now, Chinese is a pictorial language. So for brother, uh, for those of you that can't see what I'm doing here, I, I found a, a paper plate and a pen. <laughs> so I'm going to show Pastor Chris here some Chinese writing. I was very tempted because he's also got some, he's got some uh, chips and, and junk right. food in this junk drawer over here that look really good. So if you look at the Chinese word for brother, you have the character for a man is like this. And then you have the head. That's the word for brother. And my wife would agree that basically the word for brother, which is a man, it's a man with an empty head. She would, she would say <laughs> she knows a lot of men that have an empty Amen. head. The word for killer is the exact same. Get this. You have a man with an empty head with a mark. Which so is the, the mark of Cain. The mark of Cain. So the Chinese language actually gives credence mm -hmm. to what we were just talking about to follow into that language. These are ancient Chinese characters that have been in place for thousands of years mm -hmm. that tell the story of Genesis. And that's what they find is that from Genesis 1 to 11, you find the story of those stories are in the, the uh, Chinese language. Yep. In, that they study all every day, all day, and don't even know why they study them. So what's the and, book? It's Discovery in the Book of Genesis. Or? Yep, it's uh, Genesis in the in the Chi discovered in the Chinese language. Yeah, and um, it's a very good book. Um, it is not complete. Uh, there are I can tell the entire story of Genesis using the Chinese characters, and even more than that, I can go into the New Testament as well and tell many of the concepts that Jesus didn't bring about new, yep. he brought about fulfillment, right? And so we get these ideas. So for instance, the word for righteousness is a lamb over me. Yep. So the lamb over me brings righteousness. Um, we also have certain things in the culture, you know, as, as well in the, in the Chinese culture. Um, that show different things that we find in um, in later parts of the book. And isn't the, the the word for happiness in Chinese God and a lamb together? Yes. Yep. And that's how the Bible ends. Yeah. The throne of God and the lamb. There's so many fascinating things in the Chinese language. And, because, and which would make sense because it is a pictorial language. It is a language that 
has stories embedded in it. Yeah. So that instead of having 26 characters that make sounds like we have with our alphabet, A through Z, um, and those sounds make words and those words make sense to us. And those words that make sense to us are based solely on sound alone. And then that sound in our ears gives us images and meaning. Whereas the Chinese do not have a phonetic alphabet. They have a pictorial alphabet where they use pictures in order to make words. And those pictures and the words are represented by their language, the, the sounds that they make. And um, it's very similar in Hebrew as well. Yep. So the, the difference is, is that China has about 20,000 characters. Uh, so Hebrew has 22. Yeah. yeah so. so it's a, it's, it's, it's quite a number of, you know, it's, it's a, that's why people find it difficult to learn how to read Chinese because you have over, you know, 20,000 characters, uh, probably 5,000 that we use on a regular basis, but a lot of characters that people do not use very regularly. But this is a, this is a topic that I'm really happy that we were able to hash out because this is something that I think our listeners may have been wrestling with. They may have been and and I work with churches in Europe and Asia and Africa, Middle East, uh, in America, in Canada, in South America. And what we are seeing is that countries that have been Christian for a while are going through this transformation where other things besides homosexuality, but homosexuality is one of those elements, are starting to be more acceptable. And it's happening really, really fast. We might think it's been slow, but 2008 uh, is not that long ago. Uh, 2010. It's not that long ago. Uh, we already had the iPhone by then. So, and it's I, so important that you know we're called to to govern the presence of God. We're we've been entrusted with His presence, and the church is a is a picture of a place where God would love. He loves to come. He loves to 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 share His presence. And if we haven't uh, cleaned up, if if we're not clean, if we're embracing unholy things we can't expect expect the holy presence of god to come uh without judgment if we're not living correctly and i think that it's so important that we we guard i it's like the chessboard. i feel like we're the queen on the and we have to guard the king and the king is his presence and so there there are issues that we have to address and sometimes I'd be like, Lord, wouldn't it have been so much easier if we could just embrace some of these things? We'd get along with people. We wouldn't have family fights. We wouldn't have all this hatred coming toward us. But that's part of walking with Christ is that we embrace his principles. And we've got to expect there will be persecution that comes. We just have to understand that's, that's our call to follow Jesus. Is we love his word. We know it works. This is the foundation I want for us for our lives, for everyone's lives, because if we don't use his foundation, our lives will crumble. It will lead to destruction. We know that, but the challenge is, is we have to face the persecution yeah. sometimes and be seen as that person who's you know, not tolerating or not embracing when we, we love people. You know, we love people, we understand where they're coming from, um, but if you're gonna embrace Christ, it's like oil and water. You don't matter how much you shake it, it's never going to mix. And it's the same way with homosexuality and Christianity. It will never mix. It will never mix. Let me ask you this, because I, I know of some pastors that have been given uh, cease and desist orders by putting information about homosexual uh, homosexuality up on their 
on their website. These are pastors in California. <clears throat> Have you ever um, received any government resistance, uh, social resistance for preaching about um, Christianity or Christian, uh, homosexuality or, or anything that might line up with the Bible but not maybe line up so well with uh, current social movements? I have not. You have not? Okay. No. Good. Good. Um, would you say that um, this area of Indiana is probably a little bit more behind other areas or no? We're very conservative in Indiana. So, um, you yeah, if we were in California or Canada, it would be a different story. Yeah. I, I don't know what it's like here. We're in Richmond, Indiana right now. Um, my sister is in politics in, uh, just north of here in Indiana um, in an area that's small. It's called Hartford City. And so she's, uh, <clears throat> she's a part of the, uh, the government there. She was just elected to office. Uh, I won't say which office, but she was elected to office. And um, uh, when I was growing up, in that area, I, I politicked in high school for two individuals. Uh, one was for uh, auditor, and then one was for treasurer. One was a Democrat, one was a Republican. So I, I campaigned for both because I knew them both, and I was good friends with them. And my area was a bit of a, well be a bellwether. Like, uh, we had, it was, it was a give and take with almost any year. We had almost down the middle... In, in our area of, of, uh, of Indiana, <clears throat> almost down the middle of 50% Democrats, 50% Republicans. Today, you couldn't run for office if you tried as a Democrat. Uh, the politics- Same issue, here. Is it same here? Same here, yeah. absolutely. So was, was, was it a bellwether before? Did, do you know if there was ever uh, Democrats that held office in this town before? We, um, I mean, we do have a lot of Democrats that have been elected, but overall we are probably 65% Republican. Mm. So you're going to have, you know, 65, probably 65% of people that are, are going to, yeah, they're going to push back against some of the liberal agenda that that's coming, you know, coming coming from D.C., coming from California. Yeah. And I mean, we, I mean, I, I don't think that we would promote any political party per se, but one of the things that we have seen just in the, I would say in the last four years, maybe eight years, is that there has been a solid connection of uh, liberal movements on one side that has really pushed everybody out. And I, and I will often tell people this, I campaigned for Democrats. I didn't leave the Democratic Party. They left me. They, mm. they kicked me out. Yeah. My views are not acceptable to them. So whether I'm Republican or not doesn't really matter, but I can tell you I cannot be Democrat because even on the Democrat platform, if I tried to be pro-life, I would be kicked out. Yeah. If I tried to hold my own beliefs about homosexuality that I believe are taught in the Bible, I'd be kicked out. And that's so, what Ronald Reagan said. I'm not asking you to leave the Democratic Party, but I'm going to tell you they left you a long time ago. And that's that's what we've realized. And that's what I've, I've told my church that before. How, how can, as a Christian, you cannot, your part, the Democratic Party, you cannot continue to be part of. They have left 
God. They have left the Bible. They have left those foundations. And these just aren't bad ideas that the Democratic Party are embracing. These are evil. These are destructive. And that's, that's where my shift has taken place, is, is not just to say, well, these are just different ideas. No, these are evil. These are harmful. They're destructive. And because you see, you know, the full fruit of it and in, in, uh, in other countries. I mean, definitely when these these ideas are left unchecked. Yeah. I, I mean, we have. Um, uh, are you able to go onto Facebook? Uh, no. No, you don't have Facebook at all. Um, can you try to. Yeah. Uh, can you try to see if you can find Eugene Bach Facebook page and look at it at all? I could find it. Yeah, if yeah, if I mean I probably I don't have internet, but yeah, if you're able to do that, that would be I would I would like to um just share something. I'm actually going to be sharing about it on a podcast um later. Um I've been going through Mao Zedong's little red book um in my most recent podcasts. And one of the things that causes me concern, and when you and I are talking about politics here in America, even though I live in China and my focus is on China, one of the things that I find as a challenge is that, um, I have to go back way back, I think here, I post every single day. Um, One of the things that I find as a challenge is that, I see a lot of things taking place in Western politics that line up so closely with what I saw with the rise of um, the Communist Party in China. And I'm so glad you're going to be speaking on that tomorrow. That'll be a powerful message. One of the things that I have seen with the uh, with the rise of... Um, kind of these new theories and stuff in the West is that they're not new. I, I, I would, like I was talking about with homosexuality, we see Satan attack people left and right in the same way that he, that he's doing today. We see it happen um, in China in the 1950s and 60s, and mm-hmm. it was destructive. Um we see that um, um, when people talk about the desire for equal outcome, that laws need to be put into place for equal distribution of wealth because uh, there are certain people that have a lot of wealth and they shouldn't have so much wealth. Um, they, they should be taken from them. It should be equally distributed because it's not fair that certain people, everybody works really hard and yet uh, not everybody is getting the same kind of rewards because the wealthy 1% is taking advantage of those that are working. Now, of course, Mao Zedong was able to divide people up into the rich and the poor, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Um, and today we are using the same language. We're using the same exact methodology. We're, we're, or we're seeing it. We're seeing the same methods, the same exact methodology, the same division of people dividing them up, and the same argument of uh, the unfairness of the current system and how it needs to be more fair. And the way to make that more fair is by uh, taking from the rich and giving to the poor. And then grouping people together. Group identity and then is the separating them, dividing them, 
and then you're no longer righteous by your behavior or by your actions, but by the group that you belong to, or you're unrighteous because you're part of this group. Group identity is one of the biggest evils that we see that was promoted by Mao Zedong. And if it seems that you can watch the news and hear this, and it sounds like someone, because when I'm listening to it, I'm like, this stuff is coming directly from Mao Zedong's Little Red Book. That's, that's important to know because Mao Zedong's Little Red Book, for those that are listening to this podcast that know nothing about Mao Zedong's no. Little Red Book, you can go back on backtojerusalem.com and on our podcast, we have a series, a mini-series that we are running. And that mini-series uh, breaks down the different elements of Mao Zedong's Little Red Book. And one of the things that we point out that people may not know, it is the most printed book in the history of man. Um, there was about a billion copies, 900 million to a billion copies that were printed up and distributed out. And it was um, decided by the Chinese government that every member of society had to have this book, had to be memorized, had to be studied. Um, and it was studied very much like a Bible study. You, you, you read from it, then somebody would expound on it. Um, you would have confession sessions where you confessed your sins against the party. Um, and uh, it's... it's how long, is, how long is the book? The Mao's, Mao's Little Red, Red Book? book. Um, it is... Um, it goes through several sections. I think it's maybe 200 and some odd pages. So it's about as it's about as thick as a like a condensed version yeah. of a of a Bible, um, and everybody everywhere they went they carried it with them, and if people today listen to um, the teachings of, for instance, uh, CRT, uh, which is the help me CRT is the um, Micah CRT. Critical race theory. Critical, critical race theory. So if you if you study critical race theory, you'll hear Mao Zedong. Mm. Um, if you listen to Black Lives Matter, you will hear Mao Zedong. And that's not by accident. The founder, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Um, is, we are trained Marxists. We are trained Marxists and talk specifically. I play a video in one of my podcasts of her speaking about Mao Zedong's Little Red Book. Um, the very for even the very for earliest stages of the more militant wing of the civil rights leaders went to China and studied under Mao Zedong, received the Little Red Book autographed by him. Um, Joe Biden, when he was raising funds during the presidential election, quoted from Mao Zedong's Little Red Book. He said that women hold up half the sky. That is a direct quote from. Mao Zedong's Little Red Book. We don't realize how much influence that Mao Zedong's Little Red Book is having on societies today. And guess what Mao Zedong focused on? Mao Zedong focused on um, taking power from the rich, giving equal distribution from the 1% to the 99%, um, bringing up minorities that have been persecuted and the social structure that was against them to give freedom to the minorities that have been persecuted, um, to give uh, freedom to women, that male patriarchy. That's a direct translation coming out of Mao Zedong's Little Red Book, male patriarchy. Mm. So this whole idea it has been shared over and over and over 
uh, through Mao Zedong's little bread, uh, Mao Zedong's little red book. Now I'm talking and scrolling through my Facebook page. I'm back in March. I think I might've passed it and maybe didn't see it, but basically I wrote a segment. I have another way that I can do this. I'm going to look myself up. Well, I think it's important that we see that you have, like, let's take the two Democrat, the two parties, Democrat and Republican. They, the Democrats would want equal outcome for everyone. Everyone gets the same amount. Well, the Republicans would agree that there, there has to be an equal process to get to that. Everyone who works the process or works the program, doesn't matter what skin color you are or what nationality you are, if you if you do the program, you work hard, you'll have a good outcome. And I think the idea that everyone can have an equal outcome or equal equal pay is it's it's a impossibility. It's it's not biblical. It's, yeah, it's uh, not biblical. So, so when we look at the, when we look at the idea of equal outcome versus equal opportunity. Yeah. Equal opportunity is what the Bible teaches. Yes. We all have equal opportunity to salvation. Not everybody will choose Christ. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you will not have equal outcome because some will go to hell and some will go to heaven. That is a direct uh, reflection of our choice. We also see that um, the Bible says both with Jesus and with Paul that store up your riches, not here on earth where it can be attacked by yeah. malls and rust, store it up in heaven. So we see this idea that there will be riches stored for us in heaven. Uh, that we, we see this idea of Jesus talking where there will be people rewarded in heaven. That mm -hmm. means there will be people that probably will not be rewarded the same. We will all maybe get access to heaven if we receive salvation, but what we do on earth makes an impact on what happens in heaven. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's part of, yep. part of faith is believing he exists and that he rewards. <laughs> Even the idea of defund the police. I'm sure that this is something that you've seen. Yeah. This is not new. No. Nope. Let me. So I wrote an I wrote an article. It's been shared several thousand times online. It says this: um, the day the police were no longer needed. Tell me if any of this sounds familiar to you. August 19, 1966. Students launched a fight for social justice to fight for the rights of the oppressed in China. The patriarch system in China had been created by the 1% and held down women, minorities, and the working class. The students cried out for a revolution and changed. They launched a cultural revolution. Students put a red band around their arm to stand in solidarity with the oppressed and called for change on old ideas that they called the four olds. The four olds were old customs, old culture, old habits, old ideas. The movement was supported by the Chinese media. Mass demonstration and looting by the students ensued. Statues were torn down. Chinese architecture was destroyed. Classical liter literature and Chinese paintings were torn apart and burned. Temples were desecrated. The cemetery of, the Conf of, of Confucius was attacked. The, cores even, the corp even of a 76th generation Duke Yansheng was removed from its grave and hung from a tree. Wealthy homes were attacked and destroyed. Many families' long-kept genealogy books were burned to ashes. 
Public leaders who were considered to be oppressive were tried by angry mobs and vigilantes. Three days later, August 22, 1966, a central directive was issued to stop police intervention. The police were disbanded in the city and the students formed a community solution called the Red Guard. The Red Guards policed the communities and punished anyone who supported the movement. Uh, even no, I'm sorry, punished anyone who did not agree with their ideas. Even people that supported the movement but had bad thoughts could be punished. Though many Christians supported the movement in the beginning, they quickly became the number one target of the Red Guard, and public trials were held to condemn them to death. Many of those that were on board with the cause of the rebellion in the beginning saw that it was not really what they had signed up for, but by then it was too late. The power that the Red Guard had wanted had already been given. More people died during the Cultural Revolution in China than any war, famine, or natural disaster in the history of man. And I see this being repeated. Mm -hmm. Mao Zedong's Little Red Book is having massive influence on people today. Has all of the good words. Satan always uses those good words. It shall not kill you. Yeah. It this this will be good for you. You'll be able to see things as God sees them. And this is what I saw happen during Black Lives Matter and uh and reading that article, I remember it was a it was an eye opener eye opener for me to see the cycle repeating. And what it does, it it creates an, a victim group. We are now the victims and we are hurt because of what another group have done. The, the poor get offended against the rich. And what happens is it's, it's to stir up animosity, anger. And then it causes people who do have money or are white or have uh, or heterosexual, however your group is viewed as the powerful group, then you, there's always this oppressed group that needs to rise up and it, it creates a society of victims. And then what happens is, and I, I term the, I, I use the term a Jezebel spirit. There's, there's a, if, you, if you study in the Bible about Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, she, would, she empowered Ahab when he became a victim. And she gave him solutions, but he had to violate God's word to get to those solutions. And I see that same idea happening like, you can become powerful, you can take, you can steal, um, but you can't forgive those who've hurt you, that, which are biblical principles. And that was the strangest <coughs> thing, I, th I think, when we had Black Lives Matter telling white people to repent for their skin color, which is the most racist statement you can make. <laughs> it's, and I thought, this is not a movement that anyone should be part of because they're not preaching about forgiveness they're preaching about holding on to offense and we know as christians that when you hold on to offense it's an open door for the enemy to come in and kill steal and destroy and this is you know why should i be why should i repent for my skin <laughs> you know the house i live in was built by those who were part of the underground railroad who were kicked out of their church for six years because they hated slavery they were white you know and so your skin color doesn't determine the doesn't determine your righteousness or your unrighteousness. It's the character of your heart. And I've I've since I've studied what you wrote, I, I was able to really just come to the conclusion 
that lives matter, if you have to put a color in front of it, you're racist. <laughs> and we have to be strong against that movement, 100%. Yeah, it's it goes directly against the Bible, flies in the face of yeah. the Bible. This is what Mao Zedong had put in place, um, that you can be virtuous by virtue of your group. You can be a sinner by virtue of your group. Yeah. You can be guilty of a crime that you didn't commit yep. by your group. And the group, when Satan is in control, gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And even those that represent every interest of Satan yeah. becomes his enemy. Everybody is punished. Those that embrace the cause and those that carry out the punishment for those that go against the cause end up suffering. That's mm -hmm. Satan's whole MO. Yeah. Is he didn't love Mao Zedong. Jesus mm. died for Mao Zedong. Yeah. Satan didn't want Mao Zedong to be have a good life and be powerful. Satan wanted Mao Zedong to kill, steal, and destroy on his behalf, and then Mao Zedong himself would be killed and destroyed. And it and his his uh, his his ideologies brought suffering and destruction to millions and millions of people. And they always say, well, will, will, will there ever be equality? There will be equality of misery. There yes. will be equality of suffering if we continue in these destructive ideologies. And yep. we have, and that's our job as the church, is yep. to call them out. Like this, this yes. is not just a bad idea. This is evil, this is destructive. Yep. And church leaders, politicians, they're oftentimes afraid to make that stance because they know there's gonna be pushback. And when and this is the way I, I i see it if i'm not getting pushed back i'm probably not pushing the right buttons mm. and yet we don't intentionally go after to make enemies but we're in a season now where we you know the the voices that are being shut down on the internet are the voices you need to be listening to yes exactly the persecuted yeah. voices uh we have a, a doctor in our area that we bring in to speak at our meetings he got banned from Twitter, even though he's never tweeted a single tweet in his <laughs> life. Wow. He was that offensive. Wow. And, and all he was was speaking truth to the medical community. One of the things that Mao Zedong did, and this is what makes Mao Zedong, this is what makes um, Black Lives Matter, this is what makes uh, Stalin, this is what makes the Ku Klux Klan, this is what makes these evil groups that, that put people into categories. Um, what they do is they point to a real injustice. Hitler yeah. pointed to a real injustice. Mao pointed to a real injustice. And then people can see that, yes, this injustice is true. Yes, there is racism. Yes, blacks have been treated badly. Yes, whites have been treated badly. Yes, Chinese have been treated badly. Yes, Germans have been treated badly. And then these, these individuals that the enemy puts in place is able to build up a following, whether that following be the Ku Klux Klan, whether that following be the, the Third Reich, whether that following be the Chinese revolutionaries in China or Mao Zedong. Well, it's a, it's a movement started on an offense. On an offense. And you cannot have a, there'll never be a good end to your movement if it begins with an offense. Nope. And so if you can point to a, a serious injustice, everybody can look at that and say, yes, that's an injustice. God's solution is different than man's solution. Yeah. And so what Mao does, what many of these groups do is they offer man's solution, which is these groups need to pay. Yep. They offended us. They 
um, kept us down. They have been hurting us for generations. We need to fight back. We need to tear down. We need to get revenge and we need to put them in the pain that we have received. That's the opposite of the gospel message. The opposite. The, the, the gospel message is that we are all offenders. We are all evil. And we it's are pride. All sinners. It's pride to think that I, you know, I am now, I'm the righteous one. I'm the one yes. that's righteous yep. in this fight because of the group that I place myself in. Yep. And that's deception. It is. And that's why we see Deadly the, deception. the pulling down of statues and um, and people who, yeah, they they embrace things and, and did things that we may disagree with. But what you find is the history has been rewritten. Um, you know, Andrew Jackson, you know, the great President Jackson, uh, you know, he was completely thrown under the bus, especially with the Native Americans. But what history doesn't tell you, I don't know if you knew this, that Andrew Jackson, he adopted a Native American, not for show either. He made him his son. And um, so there wasn't racism necessarily involved with President Jackson. It's easy to, to point it out. Well, he under his administration, the Trail of Tears happened, but, you know, Andrew Jackson fought alongside Native Americans when their cause was righteous, but he also fought against Native Americans when their cause was unjust. So the, to say racism was the, the, the motivation is, is, is wrong. To say it, it, it could, you know, it could be part of it, but it's not necessarily the motivation for what Andrew, what Andrew Jackson did was not motivated by racism mm. based on his lifestyle. We have, um, a, a really good podcast that I would love to get to uh, about your translation of the Bible, this the, the name translation. Uh, so if we can take a, a, a quick break and then I want to come back and start this other podcast. Um, I want to thank you for joining us for this Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bacher, host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America. God bless. <laughs>